Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning everybody and welcome to another edition of Keep Left, the program of the Labour College. In the studio is Irene Bolter. Good morning everybody. And myself, Chris Gaffney. Well, last week, I'll do the last part today. Last week, I uh, described how after the revolution in 1917, the minority working class faced invasion by 14 armies, civil war. They were only ever a minority of the population. And by 1921, the working class strength had dissipated. They were spread all over the world. Many had been killed and peasants had taken their place. And this led to a stretching and finally a destroying of workers' democracy and a replacement by the bureaucracy. Now, this development was reflected within the party itself. And after 1920, it was called the Communist Party. What were the factions? Well, firstly, there was the left opposition. This faction adhered most closely to the revolutionary socialist traditions of Bolshevikism. It saw workers' democracy as central to socialism and refused to forego the world revolution for the reactionary chauvinist slogan of Stalin of building socialism in one country. The left opposition had three central plaques, and outlined by Trotsky in his book The New Course, published in 1923. One... The socialist revolution could only make progress if the economic weight of the towns and industry, as against the country and agriculture, increased. This led to a demand for planning and industry and a taxation policy to discriminate against wealthy peasants. Second, this industrial development had to be accompanied by increased workers' democracy so as to end bureaucratic tendencies in the party and the state. And thirdly, Although these policies would enable Russia to remain a citadel of the revolution, Russia alone could not produce the material and cultural level that was the prerequisite of socialism. That would require the extension of the revolution to at least several advanced capitalist countries. Well, economically, the left program was quite realistic. And in fact, industrialisation and squeezing of the kulaks, or the rich peasants, was carried out by Stalin in 1928, in a bureaucratic, brutal way that contradicted the intentions of the opposition back in 1923. But the class that provided the social basis for the left opposition, the working class, was struck by unemployment, more than 1.7 million in 1923, and most militant workers had either died in the Civil War or had risen in the bureaucracy. Added to this that much of the class was composed of peasants fresh from the country, and we find a group that was too tired, too scattered and too dispirited to fight. It was the balance of social forces, not economics, that prevented the party from adopting the platform of the left opposition. The opposition to the left opposition consists of two social forces. The first made up of elements who didn't see concessions to the peasants as detrimental to the socialist project. They wanted the party to adjust its programmes to the needs of the peasants and they found their theoretical expression in Nikolai Bukharin, with his call to the peasants to, quote, enrich themselves. The second faction in the party drew its strength as much from social forces within the party as outside, and in its main, it consisted of elements of the party apparatus itself, whose whole orientation 
was to maintain party cohesion through bureaucratic means. Its chief spokesman was the head of the party apparatus, Stalin. Stalin was the son of a shoemaker. He'd attended a seminary in his youth. He was appreciated for his practical organising ability, although <coughs> Lenin commented, quote, that he lacks the most elementary honesty. I can think of a few people fit that description. And Trotsky said of his intellectual efforts, he's the greatest mediocrity in the party. <laughs> his role in 1917 was secondary, although Stalin remedied that by rewriting the history of the revolution to give himself a central role, even to the point of doctoring photos. Well, that's the way to do it. Well, of course it is. Actually, you, you'd be pleased to know that there was still Bolshevism around in 1986, though. Well, according to the Turak Times, they used to call me irate Bolshevik. Oh, did so. they really? <laughs> well, I'm glad you survived. Um, so Stalin rewrote the history of the revolution in the history of the Communist Party of the Revolution, and that's bizarre. It's like Alice in Wonderland. No association with the real history. With the weakening of the working class, the low level of culture, the reliance on experts, technicians and planners, the disincessated factory managers, careerists, opportunists and a whole battery of party functions forced to take responsibilities and decisions as a matter of necessity during the Civil War now regarded these roles as a right and workers' democracy as a hindrance to the exercise of that right. During the 20s they began to give themselves privileges. The theoretical justification for this inequality was embodied in the Soviet Constitution of 1936 by the motto, to each according to his work. Who would judge the work? Well, of course, the bureaucrats would. <laughs> this was a reflection of what had been established for some time before this and was a revision of Marx's formula of each according to his need mm. or their need. Such unequal distributions. Yes, uh, his, not his. Well, that was the Times. Everybody said that. Oh, yes, I know. Such unequal distribution, according to output, is not a socialist norm, which which the Soviet Union uh, Constitution claimed. The judge of the value of the work was the bureaucrat, who gave himself, intellectuals, officials, grossly disproportionate matters. For example, in 1935, the ratio of salaries of high-ranking engineers to those of janitors, porters and night watchmen was 20 to 1. <laughs> the devastation of the working class and the increasing hollowness of the organs of working-class democracy in the Soviets left power in the state, the army and the police in the hands of bureaucrats who began to settle accounts with those elements that still adhered to the revolutionary socialist tradition. The first confrontation was in 1923 with the left opposition, whose chief spokesman was Trotsky. Abuse replaced debates, while control of the secretary of the party over appointments <coughs> was used for the first time to remove sympathisers of the left opposition from their posts. With these bureaucratic manoeuvres came ideological myths to justify them. One was the cult of Leninism, which Lenin's wife bitterly opposed, as it elevated Lenin into a semi-divine being who was never wrong, something he never claimed himself. The other was Trotskyism, supposedly opposed to Leninism, based on odd quotes from Lenin from 10 and 20 years ago when Lenin and Trotsky actually disagreed, while ignoring Lenin's last statement, which described Trotsky as the most able member of the Central Committee and called for the removal of Stalin. You couldn't get more clear than that. These myths were fostered to ward off threats to bureaucratic control of the party. The bureaucracy saw theory simply as the language of its own ambitions and growing privileges. 
By 1925, the alliance of Stalin, Zinoviev and the right-wing peasant supporters had defeated the left opposition. With the fall of Zinoviev and Kamenev, uh, with the fall of the left opposition, Zinoviev and Kamenev turned to the historical traditions of the party, now represented by the left opposition. In the meantime, Stalin completed the job of packing all the party secretaries with his creature, and by 1926 he was master of the party. And he announced his policy of socialism in one country, which went against everything the Marxists had been saying. <coughs> this was a basic revision of a basic tenet of Marxism and Bolshevism, reflected not only the global interests of Soviet society, nor of the world's workers, but of a particular social layer in a society char- characterised by basically conservative attitudes of the world situation and by a desire to maintain the status quo. The Soviet Union was no longer seen as an instrument of furthering world revolution, which would have relieved the Soviet working class. Rather, the international communist movement was viewed as an instrument of the twists and turns of Soviet diplomacy. All the various communist parties, who each conducted their witch hunts against Trotskyism, had to ruthlessly sacrifice their militant consciousness and self-confidence of their respective countries. This slavish following of Stalin's policies led to defeat after defeat for the working class. China 27, Germany 28 to 33, France 36, Spain 36, and it brought the Soviet Union close to collapse in World War II. The Soviet bureaucracy was afraid of disturbances in the status quo, not only for psychological reasons reflecting its fundamental conservative nature, but also because it feared and still feared to the end the profound transformation that an extension of the working class revolution would provoke. And they were deeply upset when the Chinese took power in 1949 and they did everything to persuade Mao not to take power. Maoists don't like admitting that, but if you look at the record, that's, that's what happened. By 1928, the Stalinist faction had controlled, consolidated its control. The bureaucracy had usurped the gains of the revolutionary working class, but the peasantry remained unaffected. A mass refusal of the peasants to sell their grain brought this home to the bureaucracy. The, revolting, the resulting assertion of power of the towns over the countryside was done with violence. The left opposition had been demanding it for years, but not violently, but cooperatively. So what Stalin did in twenty-eight was the opposite of the proposals of the left some five years early, earlier. The left had argued that peasant production must be subordinated to worker-controlled industries in the town. The rich peasants were to provide the capital for rebuilding and industrialising the Soviet state. But industry in towns by 1928 was no longer worker-controlled. The bureaucracy sought control amidst great suffering over the peasants, the only remaining part of society outside its control. The first five-year plan began in 1928. Again, this had been advocated by the left opposition in 1923. Industrialisation was begun, as was the complete expropriation of the peasant, the so-called collectivisation. Peasants slaughtered their animals rather than hand them over to the state, whose methods by now they knew well. This led to starving and immense suffering, entirely avoidable. Amidst the debacles and betrayals of revolutions in China and Europe, the Stalinist bureaucracy tightened its grip over Soviet society. Trotsky's son mysteriously fell from a Paris building. Trotsky's secretary was murdered. 
Trotsky was hounded from country to country by Soviet pressure as he unceasingly exposed the lies of Moscow. He was finally murdered by an assassin in Mexico in 1940. I actually visited that house. But not before the remaining Marxist-Leninists had established the Fourth International in 1938, the founding document of which is the Transitional Programme, which is a great read. The 30s also brought the great frame-up trials of the old Bolshevik men, men who knew Lenin and worked with him over decades. Tomsky, Bukharin, Zinoviev, Rykov, Kamenev and hundreds and thousands of others were now accused of being saboteurs, murderers and even agents of the Gestapo, including all the Jewish members who were said to be members (coughs) of the Gestapo. Photos were doctored, history books banned or rewritten to suit the current needs of the bureaucracy and thousands of people just disappeared without explanation or trial. The Bolshevik object, as stated by Lenin, quote, We shall see the progressing withering away of the state, and the Soviet state will not be like a state like the others, but a vast workers' commune. Well, Stalin rewrote this, and he said, We advance towards the abolition of the state by way of strengthening of the state. (laughs) Can't make sense of that. The principle of socialist planning has over the years shown its ability to record results in production unheard of by other systems in a short space of time. From 1925 to 32, the industrial production of Germany had diminished one and a half times. In America, twice. In Russia, it increased four times. Today, well, until 1989, despite the bureaucracy, the loss of 20 million people in World War II and the destruction of Soviet industry, the Soviet Union remained the second most powerful country on earth. At the same time, its role is conservative, internationally and locally, because it rests on the passivity of the Soviet working class. And that working class was rendered so passive that by 1899 the bureaucracy were able to insert themselves into the position of essentially capitalists. That's all I want to say on... Uh, oh, I raced like a maniac. And, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm gobsmacked, listeners, as you might notice. Uh, that's right. Uh, in fact, when I, was, when I was in Moscow in 1973, they held a meeting for all the tourists and we were allowed to ask questions. And to oh. my amazement... What year was this? 1973. 73, right. And uh, they, they said, well, you can all ask questions. So I thought, all right. And I got up and said... Uh, why ha- Why do you falsify photos of the revolution? Did you have an escape route worked out? Well, I, you I, I was so this? stupid. I was so <laughs> stupid. I asked, why do you doctor photographs? I said, I've seen photos in the West where Leon Trotsky is there, and yet the photos in the Soviet Union, he's been erased out. Could you explain this? Suddenly, the lights went out. I'm not joking. The lights, the hall went, all the lights went out, and next minute we had soldiers ushering out of the building. <laughs> and I thought, God's sake, what have I done? Yes. But I escaped. As you you I escaped. Got, uh, well, Did I you? Mean, well, I avoided any further trouble because I was a tourist. They weren't going to give me... Well, I don't but, know. I did, don't think being a tourist has ever stopped people. No, well, that's, that's how stupid and rash I was. Um, I don't know what what you've got to, uh, you wish to talk about. I don't know oh, whether you saw this uh, article in The Age and uh, it surprised me. It was called... Capitalism needs fixing. It was a couple of years, um, oh. a couple of weeks ago. Oh, really? I, did I see this? Uh, uh, 
And it's interesting because it's it's by a correspondent of the age, and she oh, yeah. more or less. Could I have it back? I need to quote from it. Uh, oh right. yeah, okay. I was just having a sort of. I don't think I saw this. I'll give it to you. I, I've you got. I get the digital age these oh, days, do you, but I don't do know whether. I... Well, it's it's sort of saying that uh, it quotes a, a headline in the uh, the Economist, the British magazine, which was "Labor is right. Karl Marx has a lot to teach today's politicians." Hmm. Um, there is enormous amount to learn from Marx, it said. Indeed, much of what Marx said seems to be more relevant by the day. <laughs> the essence of his argument is that the capitalist caste consists not of wealth creators, but of rent seekers, people who are skilled uh, at expropriating other people's work exactly. and presenting it uh, as theirs. Uh, the Economist goes on to find much evidence to support this, including the supersized executive pay packets yeah. and the trend in politicians turning gamekeeper to, po- to poacher on retirement. Now, Anna Burke's a classic example. Oh, well, it's yeah, sick. well, there's numerous examples now. Yes, aren't uh, um, and there was some... Now, what was... There? This was being discussed... Uh, uh, this uh, Was it in the age yesterday? There were, I, I was reading something about this, how... how and it's Labor as well as Liberal... Um, how when they leave, they they go out and join uh, the capitalist companies, well, and so that's their way of leaning. And then they become they uh, uh, become the ones who are then up in Canberra. And this is the thing: the whole world runs. They're all lobbyists up there, and that's how it all runs. The lobbyists get in. The ones who have um, sold and, their souls utterly. Yeah, and it's like it's like uh, the developers uh, with property and stuff. They all get in, and they can do what they like, pretty much, because they make all sorts of promises mm-hmm. with the government. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, this morning they were discussing uh, the head of the CPA. Who earns one point six million dollars a year no, or something? No, yes, yes. <laughs> something totally reasonable. So, so somebody's noticed this, have they? That there's a, a some sort of well, uh, it's it's become so blatant dis- now that even the capitalist class <laughs> is saying, well, you know, like perhaps Marx had a point. Yes. Um, uh, however, this article says the Economist drew a line at Marx's characterization of capitalism. Inevitable immiseration of the poor. Now, I can. I would have thought that was something that was beyond all doubt, that the poor are getting poorer and the rich are getting richer. Well, it's it's there for everybody to see because the wages <laughs> haven't moved for how long? The wages now uh, are going down in proportion to well, that's everything right. else. Well, they're actually below. And, they're actually yeah. in the negative territory. Yeah. But you know, they draw the line saying, "Oh no, the immiseration of the poor. That's not right." But at the same time, she goes on to say, it's increasingly clear capitalism is not one that lends itself to increasing equality. Oh, no well, kidding. Uh, <laughs> how, can it be? how can you reconcile can you? those two statements? The post- <clears throat> At home in the space of one week, we witnessed big bank bosses colluding to fight a modest new levy to bolster the public purse. Yeah. The strange spectacle of the greatest treasurer as secretary of the past two decades turning into a bank spokesperson, and the exposure of alleged tax racket led by the son of the tax officer's commissioner. Yes. It's just unbelievable. Um, Even the ANA researcher, Adam Triggs, documents a worrying concentration of power in corporate Australia into the hands of the few. Hello. That's what Marx was saying. You've just noticed? Yeah. That's what Marx was saying over a century ago. (laughs) 
not only is the big town increasingly getting to bed with each other, with a record 3,057 mergers and acquisitions in 2007, compared to 346 in 1990. But every year there are fewer little guys setting up shop. I think I talked about this last week. Uh, I'll give you the figures, but I won't bother because I want to move on. We are seeing a rise in firms using their market power for anti-competitive purposes, which is meant to be the virtue of capitalism, because out of competition we'll get better services. Yes. Uh, uh, uh-huh. But of course, as with this article, well, they're more or less saying well, that Marx is right, uh, but please just let us get on with our lying, cheating, stealing and exploiting, if you don't mind. Yes, and I think they're more blatant about it now, though, you see, because they feel more comfortable about it because well, they've been getting right. away with it for years. And, and uh, I think that's why they're admitting, they're, yeah, sure, yeah, we're exploiters, yeah. but what are you going to do about yeah, it? Yeah, exactly, because now it's so so out of control and big. You know, what are you? Because everybody, that's what I sit at home thinking, well, what are we going to do? Well, What do you do? Good, good point. <laughs> and this article says... This is the part, having demonstrated that Marx is spot on uh, and pointing out some of the more egregious, horrible things about capitalism, this article concludes, capitalism needs fixing, not overthrowing. Oh, well, of course yes, she Well, they can't that. go that far. Of I mean, course, yeah. that's right. God, no. She said, but come to this, the masses can be surprisingly undiscerning. Throwing the baby of the free trade away with the bathwater of rising inequality and cronyism. Oh, please. Now, of course, you would hardly expect the Workers' Party to say, well, yeah, Marx is right in all his inclusion, including the need to get rid of capitalism. Well, that's a step far too far. This woman, Jessica Irvine, obviously wants to keep her job. So the article is full of these contradictions, admitting Marx is right, but... (gasps) You know, don't mention workers' takeover of anything. No. Because, of course, workers we know are not very intelligent and they wouldn't be able, poor dears, wouldn't be able to run the complex nature no. of modern Well, that's society. right. And you've got, to, you've got to have people earning millions uh, because allegedly... Telling you what to do. Telling them what to do because allegedly they know better than you do. And uh, well, well, and rich. you've got to, the more you pay them, the better, better they'll be at it. Yes, yes, Allegedly. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> The other thing, the other thing was, uh, yeah, we tout America as the prime example of um, of capitalism. That this is what we aspire to in every possible way. And the whole place is is uh, crumbling. But the uh, the Beacon, which is the organ of the Unitarian Church, it was a great little magazine. <laughs> uh, has an article that says twelve signs that America is on the decline. Mm. And I won't go through them all, but. Um, for example, let's some of the criterion that you can expect. Wealth per adult, right? Now, this would be a reasonable criterion. Mm. There are 27 high-income countries. Guess where the United States ranks? 27. 27, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Education and skills. Out of 23 countries? 23rd. 16th. Oh, 16th, sorry. Internet speed and access? Ah, Sixteen out of thirty-four countries. Where's Australia? About thirty. Oh, no, no. <laughs> we probably don't even appear. Health. Oh, ra- this is for the world. Yes, ranks thirty-third out yeah. of one hundred and forty-five countries. So yeah. we're above Zimbabwe and Bangladesh. You'll be pleased to know. Well, the Americans are above those yeah. countries, but not much else. Uh, for every hundred thousand births in the United States. 18.5 women die. Oh, my God. 
Saudi Arabia in Canada, Saudi Arabia in Canada had half that rate. Yes. People well, living below the poverty line. Well, the United States ranks 36th behind Morocco and Albania. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Albania. I didn't know they were doing so well. Well, no, nor did I. I didn't realise it was such a wealthy little country. Yes. Officially, 14.5% of Americans are impoverished. That's a large, mm. larger fraction of the population in poverty than Morocco and Albania. Children in poverty. Oh. Out of 35 countries surveyed, guess where the United States came from? 35. No, you're just anti-Americans. 34. I, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Income inequality. Rank of United oh. States, fourth highest inequality in, in the, the world. world. Yep. Israel is one of the top ones, by the yep. by. Life satisfaction. <laughs> 17th out of 36 countries Corruption 17th out of 175 countries Well, I'll, I reckon there'd be more than that But anyway Well, yeah But I mean, that it should be that's lower down places that haven't got a dollar between You know, yeah, little tiny yeah. states of, um, That's true Stability uh, 20th out of 178 countries Social Progress Index the, uh, uh, Which is a broad measure of social well-being such as access to clean water, access to advanced education, health, safety, etc., etc. Countries surpassing the US include Ireland, the UK, Iceland, and Canada. (laughs) Well, Iceland's a good little country, though, isn't it? Well, it's not bad. It's not where they actually jail bankers. They've got some ideas, right? So they racked 16th out of 133. Would you like to know the only category in which the United States came first? This is the leading. In, this is in murders. What, the number of prisoners. <laughs> yeah, that'd be. Number of prisoners. Yeah, yeah. More than 2.2 yeah. million yes. Americans are in jail. Only China comes close with about 1.66 million. So they've got more, more in jail than China. Yes. Which has got three times their population. So yes. if, you're one to, if you're one of the ones who hides up why, how we should follow the American uh, example, think again. Yes. But America, you know, this is a country that will all uh, sentence people to 100 years plus 30 years in jail. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and for, um, well, not minor matters, but for not even murders. You know, if you, or particularly if you're black, uh, oh, you're black you, you will get sentenced to extraordinary sentences that puts you there. And then they find out 35 years later that uh, with DNA that you didn't do it. You didn't do it. But but you're guilty of being black. Yes. And part of the problem, this is democracy for you, because they've got this great democracy where people have to get elected all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the difficulty with electing judges and prosecutors and people like that, Mm. because if they say a murder in your little town and there's an election coming up for the officials in the town... Uh, well, you want to be seen. You want to be crime. putting them into jail. That's so right. this is where you start to get uh, people messing around with evidence, and uh, because also the police chief is probably up for election as well. So they'll start messing around with evidence and all sorts of stuff to get a conviction for somebody. Well, as the figures showed, it's uh, the United States is well down the line for for corruption. Yes. And, and uh, uh, but mind you, Australia is starting to head in that direction because we're building more prisons and we're going to start uh, uh, locking up. You know, the the conservatives want to lock people up, well, left, right, and centre, and, and lock poor people up because yes, they're dangerous. Poor people, you know, might rebel. 
uh, well, they might, <laughs> but if you lock them up, because yeah, I yeah. was out uh, at a prison the other day, and they're building a new prison quite near it, and it's going to be quite large. There are lots and oh, lots of workers on it. Right, right, right. Yes, out this near where the Dame Phyllis Cross Centre is. Right, right, right. And right. Uh, there's a yeah. There's a, all right, well, we'll have a little tiny station message so that Irene can podcast this later. And then we'll be back <laughs> thank you. in one second. <laughs> Make it easier for me. Yes, thank you. It's hip-hop, blues, reggae, jazz, opera, roots. Curry, a world music you're into. 3CR's music menu is serving it up to you. You're with Music Sans Frontier, music from around Australia and around the world. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Great Voices. You're listening to Hit Sister Hop on 3CR 855 AM. Music. Matters on 3CR, 12 noon every Friday. Keep these diverse tunes on the air by subscribing to 3CR. Call 94198377. Now, the number you need to ring now is 94190155. for comments. You can ring up, have your say on, well, basically anything. Try not to be too boring about it. Uh, on nine, or repeat yourself. <laughs> what? Or repeat yourself <laughs> like you did last week. Uh, on 94190155. Actually, I just want to do a little plug for Left After Breakfast. Uh, now, there's a radiothon starts on the 5th June to the 18th, mm-hmm. which is where we're trying to, you know, make a little bit of money, keep going. Indeed. And. I want to remind you, we did promise, well, I did on Left After Breakfast, so I have to get the other two, make the other two comply, that we were going to uh, do it in the nude uh, for the radiothon. <laughs> remind me not to attend. <laughs> so you've got to donate. <laughs> the more you donate, the more clothing we take off. Or you could put it the other way. The more you donate, the less likely they are to take the clothes. I think that might be more successful. 